Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the first episode of the Flying V Anaheim Ducks podcast on Believe Podcast Network. Here on Believe Podcast Network, Southern California's number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in Los Angeles, Anaheim, you name it, and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? So, yep, as I was saying, this is the Flying V Anaheim Ducks podcast. I am your co-host, Anthony Ciardelli, but with me today is probably the man you're more interested in hearing from, longtime NHL defenseman. He played for the Anaheim Ducks where he won a Stanley Cup, Kent Huskins. What's up, guys? Um, yeah, excited to be here. Excited hockey's finally back. I know August uh, always tends to drag on for all uh, us hockey fans, so it was great. Uh, I know they uh, had the new Great Park facility uh, open for business down there and we got to take a look at some of the the youngsters this past uh, weekend so it was great to see some hockey and great to see the future of, uh, of our ducks absolutely and we're going to go get into all of that including a training camp preview and a little bit of uh, speculation on Dallas Eakins and what he might be like as the new ducks head coach uh, but if you're interested in listening to more of this podcast you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts on all the social networks. Uh, and you can, if you like it, subscribe to it and rate us on iTunes. Uh, and if you want to follow us on our social media accounts, mine on Twitter is at DeliTweets. That's D-E-L-L-I-T-W-E-E-T-S. And Kent, what's yours? Uh, mine is, uh, let's see, Instagram is husk. Verna, H-U-S-K underscore V-E-R-N-A. And uh, yeah, I think I have a Twitter set up, but I haven't used it yet. So uh, I'll get to work on that. <laughs> All right. So let's get going. First thing is the rookie tournament that we were at this past weekend at Great Park Ice, which first of all was an awesome, awesome building right there. I mean, it felt to me like kind of a really new airport and all the different like hangars were the ranks. It was kind of cool. Yeah, it's an awesome, awesome venue. I think they did a great job. This is obviously the first time they've done uh, something on that level, being such a new building. So to get all the fans in there, and I think that was the other part, was the impressive turnout of uh, all the kind of Ducks faithful and, and Kings fans that came down, uh, even when the San Jose game. I mean, th those buildings were full. It was standing room only. It was a great atmosphere, it kind of like... 
the the smaller feel almost felt like a bit more of a, a college atmosphere but it was it was good and loud and there was good energy for a for a rookie tournament so it was cool yeah that's a good point it kind of felt like uh some of like the neutral site college hockey tournaments because there were i mean san jose and uh, phoenix i think played before that last game and that that building was packed too it was pretty cool yeah um, but getting to the Ducks, so you uh, were there for Saturday and Tuesday's game, right? So Ducks, Sharks, and Ducks, uh, Golden Knights, correct? Right, yeah, yeah. And I, I think, um, yeah, it was great getting a look at some of these guys. I think um, just talking to people kind of over the summer and um, the Ducks fans and everyone kind of follows it uh, at various levels. But I, I think the one guy who... Um, was not there that uh, that kind of a lot of people were uh, are excited to, to get a look at was the Ducks first overall pick Trevor Zegroth who's um, obviously going to Boston University and will uh, will be attending there and, and I mean that's a great program for him obviously um, an extremely exciting prospect I think um, a, a lot of a lot of favorable th- favorable things being said about this guy. Um, Gotta love his speed, creativity, elusiveness, all the kind of all the things that make for a really, really exciting player. Um, I think everyone develops at their own their own speed, so you don't want to put that kind of pressure on a kid uh, coming fresh out of uh, college or whenever whenever he decides to to sign and come out. And the Ducks kind of agree, and when they can figure that out. Get him out of PU and get him into the system and, and get going. I think uh, the, the sky's the limit for this player, but uh, it'll be interesting to see his progression. Um, and then, yeah, moving on to who was there. Uh, I think starting with the first round pick, uh, I believe it was the 29th selection, Braden Tracy. Um, Want to kind of get a look at these young guys. The first time we're really getting a, a look at them. If you didn't see the the rookie stuff earlier in the summer. Um, another uh, skill you can see the the trend that the Ducks were looking for in this draft was to add offensive skill, and he's another guy who um, just showed it off a couple times over the course of the games he was in. Um, the guy who had a really strong uh, rookie season in the WHL rose, I think it was something crazy, like 50 or 60 spots in the central scouting list in oh, the wow. second half of the season. Um, maybe a little bit of a, a late a late bloomer as opposed to some of these guys that are super hyped starting when they're 15, 16, but um, a little more of, I think, of a, a subtle player, but um, obviously has that high-end skill, the toe drag, nice shot, nice goal. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that a great job by the Ducks picking up these two guys and really uh, stocking up on some, some high-end skill for down the road. And as these guys develop, it's going to be fun to watch. Um, how about you? Uh, well, first of all, on Zegras, I thought uh, um, I think he's a definitely in a good spot at Boston University. I mean, that, yeah. that you having played college hockey, you know, uh, especially in the Northeast, that that hockey East is one of the top 
leagues and conferences in the uh, in the nation. Yeah, uh, and he's going to play against a lot of high end talent there. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, the reason he wasn't at the rookie faceoff is that he's playing in the NCAA, and if he were to be in the rookie faceoff, he would have already signed a, a pro contract or played pro hockey technically. So the NCAA doesn't allow that, which is why Zegers wasn't there. Uh, as for people who are actually were, were playing. Tracy was impressive. I, uh, that that toe drag goal that he scored against, I believe it was San Jose, that was unbelievable. Such a nice shot, well placed, really good kind of presence of mind, and and uh, just I guess you call it, uh, I don't know what the word stick to itiveness. Maybe to do that right in front of the net. I mean, you're kind of a target right there. So that was that was really impressive. I really. Uh, I really enjoyed Sam Steele and Troy Terry. Obviously, those are two guys who are maybe questionable, questionably don't belong in the rookie tournament because they they've had a lot of NHL, some NHL experience, but uh, they both were great. I mean, Steele looked like he was comfortable with the puck. He was experimenting a little bit. He had a very nice goal uh, where he kind of picked the puck up along the uh, along the top of the offensive yeah. zone, circled the entire net, kind of toe-dragged a couple guys, and then... Try to wrap around the goaltender, stop the first attempt, but he chipped it over, which is another kind of under it, just staying there and getting that puck over the goalie. Uh, Troy Terry looked good, too. He had a lot of poise entering the offensive zone. He was looking for passes and had a, a, a nice breakaway goal on a forehand backhand uh, deke that just kind of slid right between the goalie's pads. Um, and then there's a couple other guys who, who kind of had some uh, – made some headlines earlier in the weekend. Uh, the first one was Hunter Drew. We, we talked about it a little bit while we were there. I actually, uh, I was, I didn't know uh, when I was there that he had done, had such a good game the day before or the game before he played. I think when they played San Jose, scored a goal, had a, a couple of big hits and people were kind of writing like this guy could be maybe come from out of nowhere, uh, land in the AHL probably, but he was kind of unheralded uh, coming out of, I think he played in the queue, right? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Um, uh, the game he had on Tuesday was a little less impressive. Uh, definitely it looked like he was getting pushed around a little bit, and he, he had a one-on-one that uh, he kind of got walked to the front of the net and uh, the Golden Knights player scored. But uh, he's definitely got some offensive talent for a defenseman. He can skate the puck. He's really willing to move it up ice. Yeah, and you love to see that, that upside. I think um, those offensive instincts and, and skill are a lot kind of – harder to teach and develop i mean you can but that's kind of something you you build over the course of uh, your entire playing career starting as a kid you're working on that skill and um once you get to a certain age it's harder to add that offensive kind of skill it's almost like more of a gift whereas kind of defensively things can be taught and that's just a lot of a lot of work and repetition and kind of um mentality and dedication and, and that's stuff that you can definitely work on um but yeah you lo- love the guys especially now in the modern nhl with that offensive upside um so hard to score um you, you need especially from the back and you need those guys to be able to jump up and, and make plays um i think there's obviously still room for um not necessarily um defensive defenseman or like like the olden days like banging off the glass like me or whatever but <laughs> hey, um, hey you I, I saw that youtube video of you going end-to-end against the red wings i mean not, <laughs> i think you uh i think you you did got some of that offensive talent at least ever once in a blue moon yeah yeah exactly but i think the skill level on, on all all the, the kind of modern generation of kids even the defensemen are 
are, uh, are super impressive. And you can tell it's been a, a lot of work has gone in over, over the course of a lifetime to, to get them to that point. And then once you get to the AHL and, and NHL, the, the real development starts. And um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, going back, I, I think, yeah, you love to see a guy with offensive upside. That's what the kind of juniors for um, college American League, that's when you get that kind of um, better coaching, better tools, all, all this kind of things, and more importantly, practicing beside better players, um, more experienced players and learning, just soaking up everything all you can. And the guys that are able to kind of uh, soak things up and continue developing are the guys who are kind of, that's the difference usually between making the leap from junior to the American League and then the American League to the NHL. It's just obviously the base level talent, but that ability to kind of keep improving is always so important. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um, Steele and Terry uh, look great. I think these tournaments are, it's hard to, uh, to get a feel because there's really such a, a discrepancy in age. You've got guys that are 18 years old out there, and then you've got uh, guys that have been in the minors for a couple of years that are 23, 24. Um, obviously, no one's played together before they, or in any real capacity. I mean, they had a couple of days of practice and then throw them into a game. So things are a little scrambly out there. Um, but yeah, you look for those glimpses, and obviously Steele and Terry uh, both gave us some of those all weekend. And you were mentioning when we were there, you were looking a little bit at Larson, speaking of the Ducks defensive core and kind of the gap they have between the upper end guys and the jobs that might be available on the bottom bottom uh, three defensemen probably. Was there anything in particular that stuck out from maybe Larson or Mahura that, that struck you, or do you think that it's still pretty, pretty open-ended in terms of who gets those spots? Um, yeah, I think it's definitely um, open-ended. I, I think they have... Um, Obviously, a couple of veteran guys that are, are very capable and good players in uh, bringing Delzato back and uh, Corbinian Holzer is always a you know great team guy and uh, a battler and a, and a good player too. So and then they uh, they brought in Yanni Hakenpa, <laughs> um, who's just a, a big body but really uh, um, yeah kind of has the the physical giftedness and so yeah I, I think for the bottom. Uh, you know, that, that third pair, I think that's one of those scenarios where um, in some cases training camp is things are set in stone. But I would think that that, that third pair, there's a whole lot to be discovered over the next couple of weeks in training camp as far as making those decisions on who's going to stay. But um, I think for a defenseman, it's so hard to get points uh, unless you're on the power play and that there's just – Points are obviously the the one thing that kind of people measure a player by, um, and then plus minus, depending on who you talk to, kind of means a lot or means nothing at all. <laughs> um, and then I mean, it really you dig into the analytics that helps too. But until you kind of see a player and watch him over the course of time, and you you see the details whether you know his his outlet passes are on the tape or if they're in the skates, if they're flat or if they're wobbly or just his decision decision making, excuse me, um, uh, his coverage in the defensive zone, his one-on-one -on -one battling, um, skating, mobility through the neutral zone and, and D zone, um, straight ahead off, like forward speed, backward skating. There's a lot of things that go into 
um, the player's effectiveness. So I, I just wanted to look at both those guys closely. I, I think the finer points of of uh, both their games, I guess, start with Larson. I'm just trying to trying to figure him out as a player. I mean, he uh, obviously he looks the part for sure. He's got great. You know, it's, it's funny, but you look at a player's body language and the you can tell kind of how they're feeling as a player and you, you like to have that poise as a defenseman that you don't get rattled and that kind of um, radiates and gives off that energy to the rest of the team. And so when you're not panicking out there, it looks like he never does. He always looks composed, always looks poised. He's never, uh, he's a smooth skater, never looks like he's kind of overly working hard, but he, he's moving around, he's great pivoting. Great uh, going back to get pucks. He's good escapability as far as kind of eluding checks, which is important over the course of an 80-game schedule. It adds up. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I liked his game. I like the finer points of his game, and, and same with Josh Mahura. And I think these guys have had some time in the minors, had some time up with a big club, and that that goes a long way early in your career to kind of get that taste and then be able to to use that kind of day-to-day and keep building your game. Um, the final couple guys I guess I want to talk about from that rookie tournament were uh, the, the other big name, Max Comtois. Uh, I expected a lot from him, uh, and you kind of hit it a little bit earlier on the head, playing with better players uh, uh, when you're up in the NHL. It, it, it improves your game, obviously. I, I thought the way he started last season and his ability to score pretty much at every level that he'd be dominating this tournament, and he did score. I think he played well. Uh, the first two games, or, the, or the, the second game. I don't know if he dressed in the first. Um, but he scored a goal there. Uh, the thing that interested me about Comtois was I, did, I really didn't know he was willing to engage that much physically, but he's a physical player. Uh, tends to get involved in the scraps a little bit. I know he had a fight. I think it was against the Kings. Uh, I mean, I was not expecting that out of him. And he also, he had a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a scrap, not really a fight, but just kind of a, we'll call it a dust up behind the play with a Golden Knights player. And uh, he does like to get physical, which is, uh, I mean, a, a surprise part about him, I think. Yeah, I mean, you like to see that as a, as a player, um, just that, that competitive fire. And I think he definitely has that. And that kind of boils over into some stuff after the whistle. And I think as the... As the people watching, I think that was part of the reason uh, why he was appealing as a player, is he just has that, uh, he's a fiery competitor. And I, I think you'll, you're never going to go wrong with a guy like that. I mean, whether you know, they get in a scrum, take a two-minute penalty here or there, that's fine. I think over the, you'll take that. Um, so yeah, I think he's probably a guy that um, strikes me as more of a kind of, Loves the big time moments. I, I feel like I haven't got to know him personally yet. Um, hopefully over the course of the season, but uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see him. I think he was uh, obviously one of the more uh, prominent players in the system, and um, I think he'll be a, a big contributor. So I mean, what uh, how the the weekend went? I think is a you can take something away from what we saw out of him over the weekend, but I, I think a more telling sign will be kind of towards the, the end of training camp and as training camp goes. And I, I'm, I'm excited to watch him this year. Um, another guy, speaking of physicality, who I, I, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed watching over the course of the, the weekend was Max Jones. Oh um, yeah. I've heard uh, 
a lot of fans like this guy, like his game, uh, like his physicality, and it's just the kind of little edge he plays with. And um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed watching him. I, I think uh, brings great energy and, and a guy that the as a defenseman. If you know someone's coming in to finish their check every time, like with force, where they mean it, where they're they're coming in to hit, they're not coming in to just finish a check to kind of do their homework and look it on video. Like they're coming in with a purpose to to come in with some force and and do do some damage. Um, they're making game one of the playoff hits, not regular season. Yeah, hits. yeah. To, to see him flying around and finishing hits and uh, in the rookie tournament was. Uh, it was good. The tough decision, I think, for management with a lot of these young guys is whether whether to keep them in if they're not going to be on the top two lines or the top two pair defensemen. If it's better to have them play on the third and fourth line in the third pair, or if it's better to have them down in San Diego playing 25 minutes a night in all situations, and and just what's going to be best for each player's development. And I think it's that's that's the tough part, and that's uh, yeah, that, that's where where management, all the scouting, Todd Marshawn, Francois Beauchemin's in player development, and those guys, uh, I have no doubt, will, will make the best best decisions for for each case. So, getting more into the training camp preview and everything, uh, I think it started a couple of days ago. Heading back to your career. Do you remember your first training camp, like kind of the nerves you had? And then also, what is, I mean, heading into training camp, do you, do players kind of dread it? Are they ready for it? I mean, I know in the NFL, it's like they'll do anything they can not to be in training camp in, in the preseason. But what is it like in the NHL uh, for your experience? Uh, I think, yeah, there, there's a lot of different scenarios. There's, there's guys who are coming in. I mean, if you're a late round pick or kind of off the radar, you're looking to come in and and do anything you possibly can to get noticed, which is very hard in uh, inter squad games and practice because there is a lot of nerves. There's a lot of kind of nervous energy. Everyone's energy tanks are absolutely full after entire summer of training. Everyone's just ready to fly around and um, kind of in, in peak physical condition none of the wear and tear of the season has caught on so everyone's just flying around at maximum energy and kind of enthusiasm so it's a little things can get a little scrambly I think for the the veteran guys um, who kind of obviously have the the spots nailed down it's a little different you're you're coming in you're settled you're going to your home every night you're having home-cooked meals Whereas the the younger guys um, coming in, you're staying in a hotel. You got to do the best uh, you can to kind of have your off season and game day routines and translate that into staying in a hotel room, which is um, not easy. I mean, there's a lot of uh, nowadays with nutrition and new co- uh, recovery, with how demanding the sport is physically, everything is important. Um, so um, if a guy can't can't do something that he would at home and his routine gets thrown off that can that can affect a player's uh, performance on the ice so um but at the same time you're you're looking to make guys uncomfortable and see how they see how they respond and um there's a lot usually a lot of kind of shifting the lines around so you'd come in every morning and and see where your your name is on the lineup and if you're high up and uh you know, maybe you're a, a prospect i remember i always come in and if i was 
paired with one of the actual NHL players, you kind of get excited. And what does that mean? What, is, what can this possibly mean? Or if, if you're at the bottom, you're like, oh, no, that's horrible. Like, no, I'm not even going to get a chance. I'm going home tomorrow. So um, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of opportunities to kind of overread and get in your own head, but I think the guys that can just kind of stick to focusing on what they're doing on the ice are the guys that perform the best. But I think the biggest hurdle um, is always fitness testing. That was kind of day one of camp. A lot of the veteran guys and more guys who are kind of on the cusp um, will come in and test early just to get it out of the way. But a lot of the guys uh, coming in for camp um, this is what you've kind of been training for all summer. And as August rolls around, it kind of starts to get in your uh, mentality. It's just, it's, uh, it's, it's not fun. And there's just a lot of nervous energy that you're trying to, trying to work through and, and uh, test as well as you possibly can. But uh, yeah, I remember one time, I think it was my third year pro, I'd signed with Florida. And I remember my first two years uh, being in Chicago system, the, the tests were on the bike, stationary bike. And first year, I didn't, didn't do well. Second year, I did better. But going into Florida, I really wanted to, I thought I could have an opportunity to maybe make the team and really wanted to put my best foot forward. So I remember just slugging on the bike like <laughs> all summer, just pounding the bike. And I get to training camp, and all their fitness testing was uh, running-based, not a single bike. Um, so I know my cardio is good, and then I got in there a week early and just started trying to run to get my running legs. I ended up giving myself uh, shin splints oh. from running. So then I had to go through fitness testing. I had like uh, athletic tape taped around my <laughs> shins, and the guys were calling me Seabiscuit. I was kind of <laughs> plopping around the track trying to trying to finish his fitness testing but uh, so obviously I kind of bombed but they gave me a, a redo once the, the, the shin splints kind of mellowed out and my cardio was fine so I, I ended up doing fine but yeah I just remember Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit is how long did that name stick after Clopping they gave around it to you? Uh, well it's good I mean there's there's 50 60 guys so things get get forgotten pretty quickly so not more than a couple of days and then it was on to the the next chirps for the next round of guys. <laughs> Do you remember anybody in particular at any of the camps you played at where the, uh, the their fitness testing was like, holy cow, that guy is a beast. Like you hear you hear rumors about everyone. I think like Duncan Keith and Chicago and Chara. But like, was there anyone maybe even not a star player who you were saying you're like, is that guy on steroids? Like, what is going on there? Yeah, no, I remember I uh, I played. Um, yeah, this guy was was an absolute beast, and and it was all. Uh, it was all just pure work, and it was kind of a, a theme throughout this guy's career. And also a teammate on the, the 07 Ducks was uh, Sean Thornton. And uh, I played with Sean uh, Norfolk in the American League when I first came in, and just I remember him just every year just, like, blowing up fitness testing. Like, this guy was just – and you could just see it day-to-day, -day, the way he went about his business, the way he carried himself, the way he worked on a daily basis. I mean, it was – it was uh, – yeah, just crazy. I think he, he actually like broke the bike. He was going <laughs> so hard at one point. And uh, yeah, he would just, he had that kind of, uh, that edge to his personality too, that he would just get, uh, you know, get totally pissed off. And just, you could see him just using the kind of fire to just destroy this fitness testing. And 
Yeah, that's one guy who really stuck out. I remember another guy. Um, I remember Travis Moen, uh, too, my first. Uh, when he came in, I also played with him in the minors and also obviously a, a key member of the, the Cup team as well. But I remember him always uh, doing doing really well after working on the farm uh, all <laughs> summer would come in and just destroy fitness testing too. So those are two guys that stuck out. And no coincidence uh, that they ended up having the careers that they did. And I think it all kind of runs together. I'm curious. I wonder if, if Thornton's fitness had anything to do with his, like his boxing training and that type of stuff. I mean, I, I don't know how long he'd been doing that for, but I know, I think when he was in Boston, he was known for, I mean, going to boxing gyms and I don't know, I've done a couple boxing workouts and I'm like just dying after 30 seconds. Yeah. So uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe that had a lot. Yeah, to do it was it. probably part of the training and obviously, uh, yeah, I was definitely not not afraid to implement that on the ice either. Authority, he was a great teammate, and yeah, what a what an awesome career, and just the the path that he had, and uh, playing in the American League for a while before getting his opportunity, and then winning the Cup with us, then going on and just basically becoming uh, a key you know household name in Boston over the course of his career there and to get another cup I was really happy to see that for him and uh it's kind of similar having shared a similar career path of uh five and a half years in the minors before ever getting my first call up but you know I have all the admiration in the world for that when you were your first maybe your first training camp or your do you remember your first welcome to the NHL moment I mean whether it was in training camp paired up with a with a player who maybe was a future hall of famer or, or, or maybe your first NHL game where you maybe got driven to the boards was there one moment you're like holy cow I'm here now yeah I remember my first day in uh, Blackhawks training camp because I um, played up at Clarkson and then a lot of guys after this season um will sign and go play in the in the minors or go play with the, the big club to finish out the year depending on each scenario and uh, I finished up my senior year at Clarkson playing and then was just kind of waiting and nothing happened and then <laughs> I was waiting for all through the summer I'd kind of I called my agent he was just saying oh no it'll be fine and um and I my first three years at, at Clarkson were were good but uh I was fortunate and a lot of things went right my senior year and um so, yeah, I was obviously hopeful that, that something was going to work out and then just just kind of radio silence. I didn't really know what was going on and there was, wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't really pay attention to any, like, the chat rooms or anything at that time to kind of hear the rumors. But I don't know, I guess it was kind of framed like there was me and another a guy coming out of college that were at this um, same time, both kind of waiting to sign. And... Uh, like I think there were a couple of articles saying we we're holding out, and like I remember <laughs> reading that, I'm like, I'm out of holding out. Like, I'm, I man, I'll, I'll sign. Like, just uh, just let me know. And and then um, ended up signing with basically I think a week to go before camp. And um, I remember my first day at camp, an inter squad game. Um, so all the guys are out there, and yeah, all of a sudden they had some great players like Tony Monte was still on the team, and, um, Boris Miranov. Michael Nylander, like they had a lot of great players, and it's kind of is your first opportunity skating beside some of these guys. And I just remember being in front of the net in their squad game, and um, some guy was kind of digging for a loose puck, and just instinct as a defenseman, you just kind of give him a little shove. And all of a sudden, the guy just punched me right in the <laughs> chops, 
and uh and skated away and i was kind of there and he gave me a bloody nose and i just kind of like what happened <laughs> went off the ice and then some of the guys on the bench were laughing and it was uh another uh super hard working great guy great career his name was aaron downey he was an old uh tough guy um ended up making the hawks and then uh, went on to a great career but yeah that was kind of my yeah, that was kind of my welcome to the edge. <laughs> Here's a bloody face. nose. Yeah, my Aaron Downey. It was great. Hopefully it was a red Blackhawks jersey, not the white yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so back to the, uh, the the present day Ducks. Uh, who heading, I mean, being early on in training camp, who do you think needs to make the best impression? I mean, who, I guess, would you say has the either the most to gain or the most to lose from their performance? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know, just looking at, at the, the makeup of the, the defense, um, and just, I think they're all they're all prospects, and all these guys are going to uh, have roles at some point. It's just as far as coming out of camp. Um, I think for a lot of these guys, it's going to be whether they're ready to play a prominent role on the Ducks now, or if it's better, like I kind of said before, to go down and play 20, 25 minutes a night. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I'll kind of continue to watch and be really interested to see Larson and Mahura um, and see kind of how the Ducks, uh, the direction they choose to go at the start of the season and kind of how things go over the course of the the early part. Um, obviously, Steele, Terry, Comtois, um, Jones, all these guys will be really interesting to watch um, and see see kind of what plans the organization has and and how they perform in the next couple of weeks when they kind of know basically they're they're playing to to stay or to come back and develop and you want to see how guys perform under that pressure so i think uh those are all guys i'll be watching for sure yeah i think i think on the forward side of it comtois has got the most to, to me to, to gain or lose his his competition on the left wing uh, there aren't as many names, but the names that are there are more established NHLers. I mean, you've got Raquel, who's probably going to be the number one left winger. Uh, and obviously there's some, some flexibility there, sometimes play right and left, but uh, all the positions are really crowded. Um, but you've got Raquel, uh, you've got Max Jones, who has had more NHL time, and you just mentioned looked really good physically, probably a good in the mold of a, a, a third-line winger, maybe, maybe more, checking line. Uh, and then they've got Delorier, who's the depth guy, um, and then Richie, Richie, I mean, he's, he's an established NHLer. He maybe has been a little bit, I won't say disappointing, but maybe has more of his potential to reach, but those guys are all pretty well established besides Jones NHL guys. And I think Comtois, uh, he could be the odd man out if he doesn't perform well, if he, if he maybe takes, regresses a little bit or, uh, and you mentioned that, um, the ducks aren't afraid to keep guys in the minors for a long time to, to kind of develop them better so uh and 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 also Comtois spent pretty much the entire year except for the end playing in the uh, in the queue and so maybe I guess if, if he doesn't have a good training camp uh they might think hey some more time in the AHL professional hockey is is better for him yeah yeah I totally agree I I think yeah there, there's no doubt that there's um a place for all these players in the organization. They all have futures in the organization. It's just the pace that everything's going to occur. And, and that's, yeah, going to be kind of a work in progress to see, yeah, see how they respond to different things that go on over the next couple of weeks. 
And then, yeah, last guy, uh, training camp question marks, I think for me on defense is Brendan Gould. Uh, love his last name. Gould is pretty sweet. Uh, probably some good nicknames. I wonder, I, I'm yeah. curious to know, do you know what his nickname is yet or have you heard? No, I, yeah, I would think Gooley, but um, <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I call him the Ghoul. I don't know. It's probably not how you pronounce his last <laughs> name, but uh, to me, he's, he's, he could be the biggest upside. I mean, they got him in the Montour trade last year. He, he was a, a high draft pick with the Sabres and still hasn't played that much in the NHL. I, I, I want to say he's got maybe 30, 30-ish games. Um, but he he's, was highly touted. Uh, I think he's, he's got a pretty good shot. He's, they, they potentially use him on the power play. If he can jump in and really grow his game, I think he, he solves, not solves, but helps the defensive defensive kind of gaps that the Ducks have a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I think depth is, is never a bad thing. And, um, yeah, former high draft pick, I think, yeah, a lot of upside. Um, just uh, everyone develops at their own pace. And uh, all these guys are, are different players. And, and yeah, I think he's, he strikes me as a smart, kind of another smart, smooth player. Um, I think he... For me, he was harder to, to get a read on over the course of the rookie tournament um, just because there seemed to be kind of ups and downs. And uh, I know how that is playing in that, that kind of game where um, there's basically no structure in place. And uh, sometimes the creative guys uh, do well in that side of game. But um, for guys that kind of are their strength is playing in structure, which is more realistic to an actual NHL game. Um, some guys perform better under those circumstances. So I'll be curious to to watch him and and get a better feel for his game. But I, I know, obviously, first round pick, and um, there's not there's not really that many mistakes these days. Like everything is so well scouted. There's the technology. I mean, you can see every guy playing every night basically. So um, there's nowhere to hide. I mean, back 10 years ago, sure, there'd be a lot of guys. You'd see them in the minors uh, five years later and that guy was a top five pick and and it just didn't pan out. But nowadays, I mean, you you gotta think there's there's a good amount there. So um, so yeah, it'll be a, a good guy to watch for sure. And last topic of the day, Dallas Eakins. So he's going to be the new Ducks head coach. They hired him in the offseason. Uh, a huge change, I think. You, you would know better probably having played under Randy Carlisle. But just listening to the things he says, he seems like a very heady guy. He's very cerebral, I think. I, I heard him say in an interview uh, over the weekend on, on NHL radio that he wa- basically said he wants to know, get to know his players so well. He wants to know how they were raised, how they tick. That doesn't strike me as a, a Randy Carlisle sentence that would have come out of Randy Carlisle's mouth. Um, have you? Did you overlap with with uh, with Eakins anywhere in development, or or did you never really cross paths? Uh, no, I've never crossed paths with him directly. Um, when we kind of found out we, we were going to be doing this over the summer, I, I reached out to a few guys I know that have played for him uh, in Edmonton and San Diego. And I think you know, we've been talking a lot about development as players and all the, these young guys. And I think it, it, it seems to me that um, obviously Edmonton was his first uh, NHL job, his first shot at that. And um, I think you, coaches are no different. I mean, you live and you learn. Obviously, things um, you learn from your mistakes. And it sounds like from 
from uh, there possibly might have been some uh, you know, some issues in Edmonton. Uh, things didn't didn't go well, but the, the true sign of a uh, a good pro and as a player or coach is like I say learn from your mistakes and and all reports are out of San Diego that guys love playing for this guy and and when you can get uh, veteran guys and young guys to both uh, advocate for you and singing your praises that is a difficult thing to do and all reports are out of San Diego from from both camps from veterans and young guys that that this guy's great to play for um, yeah, he's a lot more uh, personal, kind of a like a new school of coaching, definitely. And I mean, I obviously owe a lot to uh, Randy Carlo as far as my career is concerned. Um, I think he's a, a great coach, and I think every, every coach has uh, a shelf life with players, and I, I think you see that with uh, um, another great coach um, who. Uh, just got hired in Los Angeles, Todd McClellan, the same thing at Edmonton. I mean, I think there's there's two great, great, amazing coaches. And I think, yeah, you just kind of, there comes a point when uh, it's just, it's things kind of run their course as far as coaches and, and the same group of guys. So um, both those guys, Carlisle and McClellan, did, did great things in their organizations and throughout their career. And it was just um I guess for, for lack of a better term, like just kind of time for a change uh, for everyone. And uh, yeah, I, I just know the, the excitement around around Dallas and um, we're, I think just seeing that rookie term, you can see a lot of a lot of energy in those legs. I know there is anyways, but it just seemed like the, the guys were hopping out there and that's when you can kind of tell that, uh, that yeah, people are excited to play. Nice. And that's what you, uh, that's what you like to say. Yeah, I think I think you're uh, obviously right on Carlisle, such an accomplished NHL coach, and probably I mean if he's not somewhere already, he's probably got. If it's not a head coaching job, it's maybe like consulting job, like Daryl Sutter has now with the Ducks. Um, the other thing that that I think is interesting, specifically about Eakins and uh, and another guy who's actually coaching in Buffalo is is Ralph Kruger. They both. It kind of seems like Edmonton was is the coaching black hole. Like like Philadelphia is the goalie black hole. Edmonton is the coaching black hole. So I'm curious to see how both Eakins and Kruger and Buffalo do kind of with their new opportunities. They seem like similar, very similar coaches. And uh, you said learn from his mistakes. He kind of Eakins admitted uh, that that things went wrong and that maybe he, he had had some fault in Edmonton. And that I think is the biggest. I mean, the biggest thing a coach can do is is learn. Uh, we saw Cassidy last year with the Bruins go all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, and he had it. If, if you read it all about Cassidy's first stint in Washington, it was it was a debacle. Uh, probably worse, I would say, than than Eakins in Edmonton. So uh, I I think that's probably the best one of the better qualities that he has is just admitting that he 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 needed to learn and he he's matured and um, yeah. So I'm I'm very excited to see uh, what. Eakins has in store here for Anaheim. Uh, I think that was, I mean, that that's all we were going to cover. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, yeah, I think I think we got through everything here. It's a, I think it's an exciting time. Um, I mean, almost not regardless, but kind of regardless of what the record is this year, I think there's just a, an excitement about the, the future now with the, some of these the restocking of the pantry with some of these high-end uh, prospects and um, 
obviously the guys who are in the rookie tournament and then uh, yeah the with the Zgrats coming and yeah I, I think there there's just uh, a lot of room for optimism and I, I think that that's a great thing and it'll just make for regardless of wins and losses I think they're going to be an exciting team to watch this year and I think fans are excited Great. Well, that'll do it for episode one of the Flying V podcast. Like I said at the top of the show, uh, please listen to us on your favorite directories, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. We're available on all of them. You can find us on the Believe.com website and at Believe Podcasts on your social accounts. And like I mentioned before, you can follow me on Twitter at D-E-L-L-I tweets at, on Twitter. And uh, can't uh, remind everyone again about, uh, about your social yeah, so my social, uh, the Instagram, I actually just started doing this. I was posting a few things. I've never been a big Instagram guy, but uh, just kind of been uh, learning about it, uh, doing the coffee shop, and then, um, yeah, just started my own. So it's been uh, it's been interesting. So that's Huskverna, H-U-S-K underscore V-E-R-N-A. And those for those of you who don't know, we're recording at Huskins Coffee Shop right now. Beautiful, beautiful location, great coffee. I definitely had to have put that out there. Nice, so. <laughs> nice, Anthony. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah. Come visit. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.